0: This episode of the Blazer Focus Podcast is brought to you by Bymart. Hello, Blazer fans. How are you doing following the All-Star festivities? I'm Aaron Fentress with The Oregonian, along with my main man, Joe Freeman of The Oregonian. I'm in on my day off because I just couldn't resist coming back after the All-Star festivities to talk about everything Blazers with Joe. We have a jam-packed show for you here today. We're going to talk about Anthony Simons, a major accomplishment for the first Blazer ever to win the dunk contest. We're going to talk about that. And also, Damian Lillard dropped 32 points in 21 minutes. Should he have been MVP? There's some Blazer fans who believe he could have been. And then we're going to give you our midseason awards. Uh, that's going to be kind of interesting. Maybe I don't even know what Joe's are. He knows what mine are, so I don't know if he's going to set me up for some debates, trying to poke the bear a little bit. We'll see. And then we're going to get to CJ and Nurk. We'll come back for the second half. How will Terry Stotts handle inserting those two guys into the rotation? And they could be better, but will they do better given how tough the schedule is. So, Joe, let's jump right in right now. Anthony Simons won the Don Contest. It was, however, kind of a weak dumb contest, but he still won. What did you think of his performance?
1: First of all, I'm not going to throw shade on my my young man ant <laughs> like that. That's just wrong.
0: I <laughs> wasn't shade on him. I said the contest was weak. I didn't say he was weak. You know, you know it's I'm a big it, ant guy.
1: Yeah, it's a byproduct of of circumstance, obviously, with with what is normally a, a full two day weekend event condensed into just a one day thing with. You know, two events before the game and then the slam dunk crammed into halftime, Um, you know, it kind of changed the format uh, quite a bit, obviously. But, um, you know, you have to hand it to him. I I think a lot of Blazers fans went in kind of like, yeah, he's going to win because everybody around Portland knows uh, what an incredible athlete he is and what just remarkable hops he has. Um, I think a little bit of the question to not just people nationally, but even, you know, the more, uh, balanced blazer fan was, would we see any personality from Anthony because he is such a shy kid, uh, and a really good kid, but just such a shy dude. And as we all know, these are contests that are a lot about flair and personality and, and showmanship. And in the end, in addition to, you know, pulling off all of his dunks and, and, and being just, uh, you know, uh, impressive, he had the showmanship. He had the creativity. You know, we saw him with the nerf hoop on the first one, grab the the ball down and dunk it to kind of show off his hops. Because, you know, get that extra 18 mm-hmm. inches, almost 14 feet, he had to jump to get that ball. So I think that put fans on notice, something we had never seen before with the Nerf hoop on the basket. Um, but then, of course, paying homage uh, to, to Tracy McGrady, one of his childhood idols, his favorite player growing up in Orlando, I thought was, was really cool. Donning the number one old school Raptors jersey. And then, you know, the kiss dunk and, and ending that after he made the dunk with the, with the kiss to the crowd. Again, creativity, showmanship. And that personality came out that is so important uh, in, in that event. And so, you know, props to Anthony. I think we all knew, you know, what he was capable of. And now kind of uh, I think the world and certainly the, the fans of the NBA now now kind of has a glimpse into what this kid has. <sighs>
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. I just wish that the competition had been better. Like clearly he won, but I don't think he was really pushed or challenged. Mm -hmm. Uh you know, and so the fact that he actually did things with props set him apart. I did think after the fact, since he didn't kiss the rim, a lot of people are like, You can't kiss the rim during a pandemic, although (laughs) COVID on the rim. But he he has a pretty serious relationship with a girlfriend who's always in his Instagram photos. He should have had a picture of her extended out on, on, a plat- on a platform like he did with the Nerf hoop, have it come out a little bit, jumped up and kissed that, and then dunked it. That would have been tight maybe next year. Who knows? But I, I was happy for him because it's one of those moments where a young player, maybe not known very well around the country, was – witnessed and and, and had his athleticism seen by everybody who follows the NBA closely. Mm -hmm. The question now is, can he follow up? Because there were a lot of people in the past who had major uh, dunk uh, contest moments like Harold Miner, D. Brown, even. You can go back in time. And they didn't really live up to the pop that they delivered on that day in terms of their career. I think Simons has the, good to, the goods to be a superstar and this could be the first moment in his career where he makes a name for himself. Let's see if he can continue to capitalize on that and at some point either in Portland or somewhere else gets more playing time to really show what he can do as a player.
1: Yeah, and and you know, going back to the kiss dunk, he he had talked about hoping to get a mouthpiece beforehand that would kind of protect his face because you know, <laughs> right. my man busting his grill uh, on the rim. <laughs>
0: no, to can it. you imagine?
1: Yeah. Oh, just be brutal. <laughs> his chickens uh,
0: go flying everywhere. Not would have been a 50, though.
1: <laughs> hey, boom. Especially if he completes the dunk. But, uh, but the mouthpiece <laughs> that he, that he had didn't fit. And, you know, you know, I think in a weird kind of way, it, it's still, uh, he still did get there and it's the showmanship aspect right, of trying exactly. to kiss him. and, and, and him kissing the crowd afterwards, which afterwards. Hat tip to Damian Lillard on that. That was Dame's suggestion, you know, when he was kind of prepping for the dunk to say, Hey, if you're going to do this, you got to let people know what you tried to do. And so, so that was a, a Dame suggestion. So props to him for that. Um, but you know, looking big picture you know, these things are often meaningless. Uh, but I will say, there are a, only a few humans who can say I am a slam dunk, uh, you know, contest winner. And now he is one yeah. of those, one of those people. And what I kind of wonder is for a guy, again, who's so, you know, kind of uh, soft spoken and and shy, you know, maybe this will fuel his confidence just that much more kind of, Kind of boost his 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 stock and and national appeal and, and and name recognition and and maybe kind of give him a little vindication or or a little nudge of confidence that might help him in the second half of the season. Now, playing time could be an issue for him as CJ comes back and as Yusuf Nurkic right. comes back, and we'll get to that uh, later in in this show. But um, something like this can't hurt someone who no. uh, you know has has been relying to the bench most of his career.
0: Now one thing, were you like I was sitting there waiting for Lillard to join in and do something? Uh like maybe oop th- do something.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that could be the case. Uh one thing, you know, just with the three dunk attempts, there were just fewer attempts than there there normally are. So yeah. you know, it kinda takes away some of those kinds of things. Um but I think he, he went prop heavy, you know, he went with the nerf hoop, uh he went right. with the kiss gimmick, he went with the, the McGrady G-Mac. jersey. So you know he wasn't short on props and, and, and that kind of stuff. So maybe you know in this case he didn't need it. Maybe Aaron he'll save something like that for when he defends his title uh, next year. It? Well, Ooh, why okay. wouldn't he?
0: Why wouldn't he? You know, why wouldn't they? he?
1: You're right. You're right. So uh, okay. you know, but obviously, not the only guy who took part in All Star festivities. Robert Covington uh, didn't represent so well in the Skills Challenge, but was there and competed in that. And most notably uh, in the marquee event, the All-Star Game, Damian Lillard uh, just had an incredible performance, 32 points, hit three half-court threes, which we've talked so much about over the last few months, about him extending his range into crazy man territory, uh, and then, of course, scored the final 11 points of the game, including the eventual game winner in a game that is decided when the team hits 170 points. So uh, just kind of another moment on the big stage uh, for him, Hi, huh, Aaron?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, early on, he didn't get a lot done, and then he picked it up. Um, but, you know, I felt like that performance made the fact that he didn't start pretty irrelevant, an obsolete because I'd rather have that performance and start uh, Luca didn't do a ton in that game uh, he clearly demonstrating that range <laughs> on <a> national <laughs> stage like that uh, was pretty sick like and he did it effortlessly and we've seen video of him doing it and we've seen every once in a while he drops One in the game, but we've seen video from practice him working on those shots. So we know this is something that he practices. But for him to do it repeatedly, his first one though was a horrible brick. And I think I remember tweeted something like, "Did Damian Lillard just brick from beyond half court?" People were like, "Yeah, I guess he did." But then he came back later and just nailed some him and Curry actually. So no, it was pretty impressive showing on his part, and it was on a national stage. And so you know, hey Stephen A. Smith, you're saying no one's gonna know who Lillard is playing in Portland. Hopefully, this will help his allegedly inferior persona, which I think is a joke to begin with.
1: Yeah, I won't even get into all that because it's just <laughs> nonsense. But uh, you know, it was it was interesting uh, just seeing the way Dame handled the game and and you know and, and how he spoke afterward. You and and it's not the first time, but you really get a sense that he understands his place in the NBA now, and he's comfortable with his, you know, superstar status, uh, you know, your first kind of game there, I remember talking to him about his, his first all-star event. And, and shortly after, you know, Kobe Bryant tragically passed away, you know, asking Dame about that. And in his first event, you know, kind of a wide-eyed second year pro going in there, Kobe pregame was kind of like, Hey man, just go out there and play. You You belong here. And, and I don't know if a second-year guy from Weber State really believes that or, or trusts his instincts until he gets out there under the lights. And, and now he certainly knows what to expect, and now you can kind of see his evolution there. But a couple interesting notes. you know, In a, in a huddle heading into the game or, or early in the game, uh, Chris Paul, Stephen Curry, and Dame kind of huddled up and said, hey, let's all three of us finish an alley-oop dunk and all three of us hit a half court three, mm. and you know Dame did his held up his part of the bargain in the first half with about a minute and twenty left. He finished an alley oop dunk, and then about a minute later, he finally hit that half court three. Right. Curry followed him, and Curry kind of went on the half court shooting barrage. He also did his Chris Paul got his dunk, which was wild, but but never had that chance to shoot his three. So I thought I thought that was interesting, uh, but just you know. One thing Dane kind of used this event as a means to or a vehicle to test his his half court shooting and <laughs> and he said you know out of respect for his teammates he he has been hesitant to try it in a game you know he, you don't want to work for a defensive stop and then go down and and screw it up with just a you know a ridiculous half court heave and so now he says he feels more comfortable he he one a half court He hit one about a step or two behind half court. Mm -hmm. And then he hit the game winner a step just past half court. So range is there. uh, Accuracy is there. I think he was three for five or three for six from half court. And now I think he says, you know, if I'm in the moment and the timing is right, basically I I think we're going to see him take one of these in a game. I don't think it's going to be in a close moment of a game, but maybe if he's kind of on a scoring barrage or something like that, he'll, he'll, he'll let one fly.
0: Yeah, before the season started... When a video came out of him shooting those in practice, he was. We asked him about that, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm probably gonna take one at some point, you know." And he said, "Like you just said, if he's hot, if he's feeling it, if he's got mm-hmm. it rolling, and it's the right time in the game, and especially if, if teams are starting to pick him up right when he comes <coughs> across half court mm-hmm. and trap him, that and they feel like they need to basket, and he feels confident, he makes his jack one up. And you know, hey, if you're gonna shoot, even if you're gonna shoot 30% from that distance, which I would imagine he could, the way he's been shooting it, I think it's worth it, and I think it's a it's a devastating moment for the defense. If if the guy is like, okay, you're going to trap me when I pass the logo. Well, I'm going to shoot at half court. Now, what are you going to do? But you know, Stotts wasn't that excited about it because I think <laughs> he was asked about it. he was asked about it, was like, yeah, I think he's probably gonna do it someday. Almost like I can't control him. I can't keep him from doing it. Um and yeah, like you say, what coach is gonna be excited about that? That's not in the playbook. Nowhere in the playbook is there like a play where the point guard comes up and jacks up from half court, but I think. I think, based on what Lillard has shown in this department, I think he's earned the right to take a couple. If he bricks them both badly, then you don't do it again, okay? But it, I think he's going to make probably at least one out of every four.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, again, I don't think it's going to come in some hotly uh, contested moment with the game on the line or a big right. or a big. I, I think it's going to come in maybe a lopsided game when when he's feeling it or in a in a big scoring on, you know, outburst when he's, when he sees an opportunity. I don't, I don't think he's, he's such a smart player. I don't think, you know, it would come at an inopportune or, or inappropriate time. And so, right. it, you know, it, it'll be worth, it's something to keep your eye on, on for the second half of the season, as if we need more to watch with, with this team. But, um, it was, you know, it was the most, uh, points ever scored by a trailblazers player in the all-star game. Uh, it was, it was his sixth all-star berth, Uh, and I think, most anybody, except for fans overseas and and you know fans of Luka Doncic, believe that he should have been the All Star starter. Um, and you know he still went on to play 21 points. He obviously has the admiration and respect of LeBron James, who yet again as team captain selected him to be on his team. And you know it kind of just reinforces his brand because he was able to tap his wrist. He scored the last 11 points. He hit the game winner, and so. You know, all in all, just a a solid night for the for the Blazers and a a solid uh, all star game for, for Damian Lillard.
0: You are listening to the Blazer Focus podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. All right, let's move on to our mid-season awards. We are 35 games into a 72-game season, and we have here our halfway through the season awards. And I'm going to start with our first one, which is MVP, not named Lillard, because it's too easy to just pick Lillard. So our MVP, not named Lillard, as you can see, Inez Cantor has popped up on there, um, or NS Cantor. sorry. I always want to call you Enes. I always yeah, want. I don't, every once in a while, I want to go Enes, but it's NS. I'm going with Enes Cantor because, clearly, double-double machine, offensive rebounds, huge for this team. His putbacks, his ability to score around the basket is effortless. And, you know, with not just the loss of Nurkic, but also losing Harry Giles, he's the only guy on the team over 6'8". Clearly, Covington can play some center, but we all know the Cantor has basically carried the load for the most part, and more so with Giles out. So, for me, he has been the MVP of the first half of the season for all players, not named Damian Lillard.
1: Yeah. Uh, for once we agree, Aaron, I think it's, <laughs> he's, the, he's the clear non Lillard MVP. It, it's it's, I don't know if funny is the right word, but it's the second time in his second stint here in Portland that my man was brought in to provide depth and bench scoring and bench production and rebounding only to be thrust in the starting role after Yusuf Nurkic uh, suffers an injury. And just like he did during the Blazers' march to the Western Conference Finals two seasons ago, uh, he has really delivered in his time here 20 double-doubles. He leaves with that monster 22-point, 21-rebound game against the Kings just before the break. And how many times have have you wondered as, as a fan or as a basketball aficionado where would this Blazers team be without Ennis Cantor? Because he's just been so important as essentially their only reliable center right. over the first half of the season. And and I just, it, it, you talk about being without CJ, which has obviously been, been uh, terrible for the Blazers without Nurkic, uh, just opens up all the holes they have in the middle without him. But Cantor has done just a tremendous job of of filling in and and keeping this team afloat. For everything Lillard has done, maybe Cantor has been, if not just as important, more important.
0: Exactly. And for all the knocks against him as a defender, he's come up with a lot of good defensive plays Mm -hmm. in the clutch like he did in Golden State, where he was Mm -hmm. just a tear in in, in the paint. Okay, next, most improved player I went with, the dunk contest champion, Anthony Simons. Big mystery coming into the season because he didn't get a ton of minutes last year, pretty up and down when he did play. Uh, when CJ went down, we all knew Trent was sliding into the starting lineup. Although I think they started hood the first time. And then Simons would get more minutes. How would he respond? And whoa, man, has he responded shooting over 40% from three point range? Uh, not, really displaying the point guard skills that I think people would like to see from him in case those are ever truly needed, but he is a filthy scorer. We know he has the athleticism and the hops to get inside and, and do damage as well. So for me, by far the most improved player on this team. Uh,
1: I don't take exception with that. I did go in a different direction though. Uh, hey, I gave my nod to Gary Trent Jr. I Ooh, okay. I know, I know he broke out in the bubble last year. Right. Uh, so, you know, he might not be fit the kind of quintessential surprise kind of most improved candidate, right. um, you know, a guy who came out of nowhere. But if you look at his statistics, he has increased his stats across the board. He's increased his scoring from 8.9 to 15.2 points per game. Right. His assists are up uh, about a half assist a game. His rebounds are up to 2.2, about a half per game. His shooting is within a percentage point or two of last year, and that's with many more attempts and many more minutes. And, uh, you know, he started 20 games because of injuries. So, you know, a combination of of opportunity and production has led him to be my most improved player. Now, I think we all kind of sort of expected this, uh, but that doesn't mean he hasn't improved. And I think he has dramatically improved filling a more important role and kind of justified uh, everything we thought heading into the season. He's had some big moments and, and again, moving into that starting role so often has filled an important, important role.
0: I can live with that. Good pick. And you know, it's one thing to come off the bench and be asked to you know, be the microwave. Basically uh, it's another thing to be asked. Okay. Now mm-hmm. you have to start CJ's mm-hmm. out. You have to start. And when teams trap Lillard, he's going to go to you. A lot of the times you have to make shots. And not only does he make shots, you know, I, I still think it's hilarious how quickly he will jack up a shot with no hesitation whatsoever. If he can see the rim, it's going up and he's been deadly accurate. So that's that's definitely a great choice. OK, best defensive player. This was a tough choice for me between Jones and Covington. Actually, I'm five thirty eight. Analytic wise, Covington is a little bit ahead of Jones. But Jones has just made so many athletically impressive uh, recoveries and, and switching and blocking shots and terrorizing shooters because he's just the, – the way he can get from point A to point B so quickly and then elevate to make plays, he's just been more spectacular, whereas maybe Covington has been more steady. But I went with Derek Jones Jr.
1: I also went with uh, DJJ. I think you can make a case for either of them. Uh, and And I think the analytics slightly favor Covington, who is – is a more noted team defender who excels more in that aspect, but uh, both of them have been immeasurably important to the Blazers' defense, which has been hugely denigrated, rightfully so, you know, for the through the first thirty-five games. But you know, Jones takes on that assignment often of guarding uh, the best player one-on-one, and he's he's obviously their best wing defender, their most athletic wing defender. And so, uh, I agree with you. He hasn't been as steady Eddie or as consistent as maybe. Uh, Blazers fans would like, but uh, you know, for for everything that he brings, athletic wise, and just the ability to to kind of be a pest individual wise, uh, he gets my nod.
0: Yeah, and all respect to Covington, one point six steals compared to 0.8 for Jones. But mm-hmm. like you said, the on ball defensive abilities of Jones are, I think, superior to Covington. So you know, people can nitpick on us on that. I think we could both gone either way, but. Man, Jones makes some spectacular plays. Okay, biggest disappointment of the first half. Uh, For me, I know he didn't play the entire first half, but I think it would have to be uh, Yusuf Nurkic because even when he was playing, he he came in out of shape for some personal reason, so I'm not knocking him for that. I think he's going to get into shape. But 9.8 points, 7.7 rebounds. I think of every player on the team, he is by far the furthest below His uh, his uh, career averages with the Blazers. This is a guy who a couple years ago was more like eighteen and nine. So he's Mm -hmm. you know, point wise, he's almost fifty percent less than what he normally is. Rebounds about the same. Defensively, he was playing pretty well. He actually has a really good defensive rating on on five thirty eight. It's uh, actually, yeah, it's like six or something like that, which is really good. Um, but I'm gonna say most disappointing so far, even when he was healthy, is Yusuf Nurkic. Uh,
1: I get what you're saying, and uh. I think there's a lot of merit to it. I think a lot of people would agree with you. I'm gonna go in a little bit different direction different direction with a curveball and say Robert Covington is my mm. biggest disappointment. Now, if Yusuf Nurkic had played the way he played, you know, for the first three weeks of the season for 35 games, then it would be undisputed that right. that you you would be correct. I, I have a hard time because he missed so many games and was injured you know, then you just say injuries is the biggest disappointment, which obviously that's the case regardless, but we're not going there. The thing, and, and it it was tough because I hate to be too hard or critical on a dude uh, who didn't have a lot of help on defense. You know, he, he had to play a different role than maybe he was anticipating because no CJ and certainly because of no Nurkic. Um, and he had to make up for a lot without those two guys. But um, a lot of it comes down to my own expectations of of what I or how I viewed Covington coming into the year. You know, as I said over the summer, I thought he would be the perfect addition to this team or, or fall, whenever offseason was. I had big <laughs> expectations for him, uh, and he's played pretty well defensively, not as quite as well as I expected, um, especially without Yusuf Nurkic and, and CJ. But Man, you take away his rookie of the year when he played, or excuse me, his rookie season when he played just seven games, he's shooting a career-worst 37.4% from the field, 33% from three-point range, and he's averaging just 7.9 points, Right? Uh, you know, it, it, well below his career average. It's the first year since that rookie of the year that he hasn't <laughs> averaged at least double figures, and, you know, we've seen some 0 for 6s from three, some 1 for 8s, some 1 for 7s, uh, and I know there wasn't a training camp, uh, you know, so to speak. There hasn't been a lot of time to integrate with teammates, or he certainly certainly didn't have the benefit of that heading into the season. And so there's some reasons for that, combined with the injuries. But um, I ex- I need to see more on both ends from him in the second half of the of the season, and I think the Blazers will need that if they hope to live up to some of their own uh, expectations.
0: Okay. Moving on to the best win of the first half. I went way back to the first couple weeks of the season when they beat the Lakers. Hey, you went on the road at the defending champions to me. How can you do better than that? So for me, that was the best win for the Blazers so far this season.
1: Yeah, I don't have any disagreements with that. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you on that one. It was a little early. I mean, you could argue there were more important victories, you know, later. For example, psychologically. The first, well, <laughs> yeah. that and, and the, the two wins at Philly were huge, especially the win at Philly on February fourth when yeah. the team was reeling a little bit. It was in a, you know, at the end of a super super long road trip. So y- you could make a case that, didn't play. that that win it. Right. right, I might argue that that was probably their best win, but you know that's nitpicking.
0: See, that was going to be until they came back and Lillard came back the next game. They played the Knicks and lost that one. So I was going <laughs> to say well, that I was going to say that Philly game catapulted them, you know, to to you know, winning six in a row. Oh, whoops, they lost to the Knicks the next day. Then they won six in a row. So I yeah. came back to the Lakers, but I would definitely. Well, they too. lost to
1: the Clippers after they beat the Lakers. So
0: true, but as the world champions on yeah. the road yeah. And the Lakers and the Clippers are a contender. And whereas the Knicks are not, well, Knicks are actually going to be a playoff team this year. Look at that. Okay. Last but not least, the worst loss of the season. I struggled with this a little bit, but probably the most perplexing loss to me so far this season was when they lost at home. to OKC. OKC was struggling. Of course, CJ and Nurk were already out, but OKC came in there shooting 32% from three point range. And I think shot 44 that night. They were getting all sorts of crazy wide open looks. And by far, after any loss this season, that was easily the most pissed off I've seen Terry Stotts. He was <laughs> not pleased at all. I think mean, he was more upset about that game than he was a few days later when they lost to the bucks by 28. Uh, he was hot. He was like, we were letting people get wide open. We didn't fall. I think Dane was saying we were, people were ignoring the scouting report. People weren't getting out on people like they were supposed to. And also They were missing – were they missing Horford that game? I think they might have been missing Horford. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, to me, worst loss of the first half.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of merit there. I'm going to go with the February 20 loss at home to the Washington Wizards. You give up a triple-double to Russell Westbrook. Um, uh, You you just can't be punting games against the Wizards at home. But the Wizards are
0: balling, though, since they got healthy, man.
1: Don't care. Since they got healthy, Don't care. Uh, they you won know th-
0: six in a row. They beat the Lakers. They beat the, and that's stress. They beat the Lakers, I think, or the Clippers. They beat Denver. So I almost, I'm, I'm saying this because I almost went with that game. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, wait a minute, that's when they got hot, and mm-hmm. they have two superstars. Whereas OKC doesn't have one super, superstar on the team. But go ahead.
1: The only I, and and you know you could also give them a pass because I. I I'm pretty sure they were coming off a, a pretty the long road yeah. trip and they were, they were kind of in the middle of a, of a weird, this was a one game, uh homestand with like six, seven road Nine games. So,
0: road. Six, yeah.
1: Right. So you kind of give them a pass for that, but you know, after they lost that game, they went on to lose their next, uh, their next three. So they lost four Correct. in a row. So it kind of sent them in a bad stretch. So that's going to be my, uh, my worst loss of the year.
0: Okay. Fair enough. All right, that was quick, quick and dirty. Good job.
1: Yeah, yeah just, <laughs> just get in and out on that. Uh, something that is not going to be quite as quick to discuss and certainly not as quick for Terry Stotts to kind of uh, game plan here moving forward is, is uh, the positive of we're on the verge of finally seeing this Blazers team get healthy with the return, the anticipated return of C.J. McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic.
0: Knock on wood, hold on.
1: There not, you go. Get help. There they're you go. Some way for the Blazers help them out. There you go. Um, now I think everybody and their moms has been waiting for for this to happen, so uh, it, it's time, and, and it's, it's an exciting time for Blazers fans. But it also will, you know, force Terry Stotts to go back to his beginning of the season conundrum of having a deep roster with a lot of weapons and and a lot of different players as options. How do you handle that rotation? Who's the odd men out? How do you move forward? What say you, Mr. Fentress?
0: Man, you know, people were asking him about that um, after the final game against Sacramento. And, you know, he said, hey, you know, we're going to have some decisions to make. There's going to be some changes. And Lillard was asked about it as well. And he said that, you know, some of the guys who were going to lose some minutes, they, they knew Nurkic and CJ were going to come back. And they we're mm-hmm. just going to have to figure it out. Um, Excuse me. I think you know it's a great problem to have. I mean, there's no Mm -hmm. doubt about that. But I do think what what's really going to help Stotts figure all this out, and this was talked about that night, is that you have ten back to backs. You have a couple instances of five out of seven. Mm -hmm. Lillard has said himself that there might be some nights he takes off and even told a story about how CJ is going to be the one to say, Dame, sit down. Like I guess CJ said, don't make me come to your house to make you not come to the arena. I mean, he would obviously go, but to make you not play or something like that. So when you, when you know, now when Stotts knows I can go to Trent for 35 minutes, which I mean, I think he knew that anyway, but I can go to Giles for 10 when he gets healthy. I can go to Simons for 20. I can go to, to Hood. I can play all these different guys, in all these different combinations, and Cantor can give me starters minutes if I need. I can play Rocco at center as well. And knowing that is going to allow him to make decisions where, okay, we're going to load management, whether it's guys not playing at all or guys getting reduced minutes and being okay with it. If you have back-to-back situation, does Lillard have to play 38 both nights? Or maybe one night you say he's only going to play you know, 25, or maybe he sits out depending on the opponent. Who knows? I don't think he's going to sit out too often. But there's there's chips to play there to mitigate both the tough schedule with the fact that you have all this depth, while at the same time trying to balance egos. Because no matter what anyone says, at the end of the day, if you're playing 25 minutes and then you're playing eight, if you're playing 35 minutes and then you're playing 20, it's going to mess with you to a certain extent.
1: Yeah. As for the the Dame, the first thing you touched on is Dame sitting – I'll kind of believe it when I see it. When you see like, it, exactly. yeah. Like I, this is a guy who, for probably the first four years of his career, refused to skip a preseason game. Uh, they have to uh, chain and,
0: him to the to the bench,
1: yeah, with armed guards. After he signed his his mammoth uh, extension to make him the richest player in Trailblazers history, he before he put pen on paper, he jumped out into some ridiculous summer league drill. Uh, because someone was talking trash or, or his competitive juices started flowing. So this is not a guy who easily uh, sits out of games. And, you know, I wrote about this heading into last season. Him and CJ were, were super uh, leery of, of embracing the load management kind of thing and that trend that a lot of NBA teams are going to. Now, yeah. this was before the pandemic, and this is before the, the condensed and shortened season. And also, you know, what we've seen from Dame this year is, is a pretty significant, even for a mature guy who, who's always been mature, a step in even a more mature direction of kind of the, looking at the big picture. And, and I think it's the big picture that will sort of determine a little bit of this. How well do the Blazers play? Where are they at in the standings? How much cushion do they have between X seed and Y seed? Or even a playoff berth, and that will factor a lot into how often, if at all, any of these guys rest. Uh, but I should be clear: I think that Dame should rest with ten back-to-backs and the heavy toll that he's taken through the first thirty-five games with with his with his you know his his soldiers out, so to speak. He needs a break. He 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 took on too much of a burden, and so it will be important for CJ to tap him on the shoulder and say, "Get out." Um, but look, it, much as there was the case over the first 35 games, there will be the case in the final 37 or seven. nine games or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, right. That you know, Guys ten, are
0: going to get hurt. Is that what you're going to say?
1: <laughs> guys will get hurt. Guys will need a breather. Guys will need a break. Yeah. There'll be 10 back-to-backs. There'll be five and seven stretches. Um, and and it's going to be, a, as we talked about in the last uh, – Last podcast, it's going to be a uh, a daunting schedule with many many tough games, and so that depth, that versatility, that just deep roster, um, it's going to be Terry Stotts will need to lean on it uh, moving forward.
0: They should announce publicly like early. Like tw- after, the- after one game announced Damian Lillard would not play in the next game and then roll him out on a push cart like Hannibal Lecter in a straight jacket with a mask <laughs> and just put him by the bench <laughs> with two garden guards. He's all squirming trying to get out of it. Okay, so I'm looking at the schedule. Let's say you're Stotts and you want to try and give Dame a rest. Here's a great example. You go on a road trip, four-game road trip. It starts in Miami on the 25th of March. You got a back-to-back the next night in Orlando. I'm sitting him against Orlando. If I can't beat Orlando – Without Damian Lillard, we got issues. Then, or maybe you play him three in a row, and then you sit him at Detroit on the 31st. Another example, you come home for a two-game homestand quickly. You play Milwaukee. Then on the third, you play the Thunder. To me, that's a great game to sit him out against the Thunder. Uh, Looking forward, you have a home stretch. We got a Detroit, Boston, and Miami. You play Detroit first before playing Miami back-to-back. Maybe you sit him against Detroit. Uh, so there's some spots out there where you look at mediocre competition where you would think, A, you should be able to win without Lillard, and, B, you have that confidence that, okay, I'm starting – like, if I sit out Lillard, who am I starting? I'm starting CJ and, and and Trent with Simons coming off the bench. I should be able to fill my guard minutes, my 94 guard minutes, 96, excuse me, pretty well with those three. So I do think there's some good opportunities to make that happen. Now, the big question, though, is for me, aside from that, <clears throat> excuse me, what do they do? Like, everyone knows they're going to start Nurkic. But how many minutes is he going to get? Is he going to go back to the 30 a game he used to have in the past? Is he going to stick around that 23 because they like uh, Cantor for 24, 25 still? What do you think they're going to do at center?
1: Well, the good news is you don't have to make that decision now, and you don't have to make stick with that decision whenever you do make it every game. Like, you, you know, there's a lot of reading and reacting here. And Correct. you know, I, I think you carve out a niche uh, for Nurkic to play x amount of minutes, maybe 24, 28 minutes as as he returns. Uh, I assume that uh, he's been working pretty diligently behind the scenes to get into shape, and he's probably in, in better shape now than he was heading into the season. I- I'm guessing. I would hope. So yeah, yeah and so you know, it was it was a, a hand wrist thing. So that's, that's the good news. It wasn't a lower, you know, body thing. It wasn't a leg or foot or whatever. So it didn't, uh, you know, dissuade him from getting into better shape. Uh, but the thing with these two guys is, is they bring two different kind of dynamics and there's even the chance they could play alongside each other, which, you know, we saw very briefly, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, shortly after the, uh, cancer joined the Blazers two years ago, they had kind of a, uh, an interesting dynamic there. So there's different options, um, but you go from having, you know, one option right. now <laughs> in, in his enter to two pretty, pretty good options. And, and so that's kind of the point. And, and not only that uh, looking deeper into the roster, you know, I, does Nasir Little, is is he completely taken out of the rotation now? Is mm-hmm. is Anthony Simon still have a place in the rotation? Terry Stotts uh, yeah. historically has been very reticent to go 10 deep in his rotation. He's much more comfortable with nine and that ninth man playing a ba- fairly limited role. Right. How does the just insane number of games in a small window impact how he, you know, uh, you know, kind of changes his feelings on some of that, and and extends his his rotation, his bench. But you know, those will be the questions uh, that we have to look at and 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 monitor moving forward. Because you talked about egos uh, earlier. Coaches don't care about that. I mean, they they balance that for sure. They they want to make sure they have a cohesive, uh, you, you know, and and happy locker room, but. When the game is on the line and the score reads whatever it reads, the coach is going to do whatever he feels he needs to do in those moments to win the game. And so ego aside, it's going to be incumbent upon them to play the guys that they think is going to help them win.
0: Right. One other thing I want to discuss with you along these lines is I, I kind of feel like, yes, of course, they're going to be better when they get back CJ and Nurkic, but I don't necessarily believe they're going to do better in the second half and the reason why i say that as of right now we'll see how things pan out is a we all know the second half schedule is tougher they play a lot of teams who are in contention in the west twice because they only played them once in the first half and against the top nine teams in the conference in the first half they were four and seven now a lot of those games were played without Nurkic and cj so that's not completely fair but the reason why i wonder how much better they're going to get is because Cantor outplayed Nurkic in the first half So you didn't lose a lot there based on the Nurkic we saw. If Nurkic is two years ago Nurkic, that changes. But Cantor played really, really well. So Mm -hmm. how much better is Nurkic really going to be? He's not going to be leaps and bounds better. They're not going from Giles to Nurkic. You're going from Cantor to Nurkic. And also Trent and Simons, yes, they're not CJ. But, man, they did a great job of replicating what CJ does so the drop-off Was not very much at all their offensive Rating stayed the same their points per Game pretty much stayed the same their Shooting efficiency actually I think might have gone Up a little bit not necessarily because of CJ But because Trent and Simons were just Killing it um, so I don't know like They're gonna be better but the combination Of a not having a drop-off A huge drop-off when the two were out and then B having to face a way Tougher schedule it might end up being A wash what do you think Uh,
1: Well I will focus on something that you didn't mention and that is defense and the Blazers right now are 28th in defensive rating in the NBA and you seen the biggest impact on that is the absence of the use of Nurkic for everything that Ennis Cantor has given them. And it's been quite a bit. He was both of our non Damian Lillard MVP of the first half. (laughs) He does not give them what Nurkic gives them on defense and, and Nurkic Correct. sets the table and balances everything for what they do defensively because he is that last line of defense. He is the anchor for, for all things, defense that staggers, you know, the other guys to, to just focus on what they do, you know, Covington and, and, and Jones Jr. can now, you know, worry less about what's going on behind them and worry about what's going on in front of them. Um, and, you know, quietly CJ McCollum, Was the Blazers' second best defensive player while you played? I know. And so so in theory, you're getting your two defensive rating, your analytics best defensive players back. And so, yes, the schedule is more difficult. Yes, there are an insane amount of games, you know, compiled or condensed into a shorter amount of time, but presumably your defense is going to be light years better than it was and that will take so much pressure off of everyone across the board and so I do expect this team to be better I expect them to be better on defense I expect them to have different areas to attack on offense where would this team be without Cantor where would it be without Dame going ham so many nights hitting so many you know huge shots Well, it takes a little bit of pressure off both those guys. It takes a little bit of pressure off everyone else on down the roster. And then, you know, we talk about guys potentially being tired. You're getting two guys you're not going to probably have to worry about that because they haven't played, you know, more than half of the first half of the season. So, you know, kind of for all those reasons, I I disagree. I think we will see a a better Blazers team because we've seen what they've been able to do at, what, 63%? strength i mean i don't know how you want to balance out missing your second and third best players you're getting your second and third best players back and so i expect to see quite a bit uh, a a better looking team there might be an adjustment you know while guys work through new roles and these guys work their ways back and and again there still isn't that chemistry with these two guys and some of the newer guys on the team but you know looking down the road i think it'll be a better blazers team
0: so to your point based on 538 nurkic's Defensive rating is a plus six seven compared to Cantor, who's a minus three (laughs) one. That's a 9.8 difference. Um, but Cantor has a plus two seven offensive rating compared to Nurkic's, which was minus 4.4. But that was bad. Nurkic, we've seen Nurkic be way better than that, be a plus offensive player, clearly. So if he can, that's why I say if he can get back to two years ago Nurkic or even the bubble Nurkic, then clearly you're going to have a huge upgrade there. CJ is the top rated guard on the team, he's not rated higher than. Jones or Covington, but still he's been playing way better defense than Dame has, even better than Trent, according to these analytics. So I agree with you there. The only thing I'll say, I'll add to it, though, is that even when those guys were playing, the defensive rating was still in the low, excuse me, the high 20s, 27, 28, but that wasn't full strength Nurkic. And if he can get back to full-strength Nurkic, then that's. I think they're going to get up into maybe the high teens um, with him getting back to his old self. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. It'll be interesting because that schedule, man, I look at the schedule and I'm like, I have nothing vested in this. And I'm like, holy mess, this is going to be a pretty treacherous run in the second half. So we'll see how they are able to navigate it. Anything else you want to touch on before we we sign off here, Mr. Well, I would
1: just say that, you know, I don't think the Blazers are the only ones who have a tough schedule moving forward. I, I bet if you <clears throat> examined the other twenty nine teams in the league, you would also see a, a pretty daunting second half. I mean, between coronavirus cancellations and injuries, and just the nature of the schedule, game after game after game, every other night, um, it's it's just a byproduct of of the season that we're that we're navigating now. So. I don't think the Blazers are going to have be the only team, you know, dealing with a difficult stretch. And also one thing to keep in mind, the closer we get, uh, you know, to the trade deadline, the closer we get to the final, you know, month to six weeks of the season, there's going to be some teams that are tapping out on the year. That 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 mm-hmm. are, you know, have decided they're not in the thick of it, not even in playoff contention and certainly not in in deep run contention. And so they'll, you know, they'll hit the skids and they'll go young. They'll, you know, make trades to get rid of guys or they'll start, you know, jockeying for, for lottery position. And so some of the games that maybe seem tough or stretches that seem tough right now kind of do evolve, you know, over the last month of the season. So um, that's why they play the games. Aaron, haven't you heard uh, Is that why? a million athletes and coaches tell you that? Is that why? They, so Why are we even doing this? I don't know. People ask us <laughs> that all the time.
0: <laughs> it's for entertainment purposes. Um, there's one thing I was going to point out. Is if it makes any sense. Um now I'll let it slide. Um, okay. I think I'm good. I think that was a good show. Good job, Joe. Nice to see you. Yeah, I'm gonna my Trying to get my sports cars organized.
1: <laughs> I got uh, I got I'm, I'm working on a one year anniversary of the uh Sports world shutting down, so I'm going to get back Ooh. to uh, interviews and writing on that. So,
0: Ooh, how's that going?
1: Uh, it's it's going. It's, there's a lot. There's a lot to uh, to chase.
0: You're looking um, at three, four thousand words there.
1: Uh, I don't even <laughs> want to think about it. <laughs>
0: Two or three partner?
1: Yeah, no, but it's you know you look at where we are, and and uh, I mean I guess it, it's fitting for for what we're talking about right now. But you know this time last year we were staring at the Blazers' final game of the season. Um, And, you know, an an indelible image of the Blazers' last game were two dudes standing in the crowd, wearing hazmat suits, drinking Corona beers. And you think about Rudy Gobert testing positive, you know, hours later, hours after that, the entire North American and probably worldwide sports world just shutting down in the blink of an eye. And and you look at, you know, all the ways that that we've navigated the return and the overcoming and all that was lost in seasons last year. So many good teams from Oregon at all levels with chances to win national championships and and do a variety of things just in the blink of an eye. Boom. Um, The
0: Oregon women, the Oregon women. Exactly.
1: The Oregon women. Yeah. You know, at really, truly at all levels from, High school sports to to Oregon women and Oregon State women were were good. University of Portland women made their first uh, NCAA tournament in, I don't know, like 20 years, and they didn't get a chance to go. So uh, And and then you look at navigating it. We've lived through the bubble of the NBA. The Portland Thorns were the first uh, North American professional sports franchise to return to play uh, after the sports world shut down. Um, and and now we just encounter a daily. Br- oh, there's another positive test. There's another mm-hmm. team shutting down. Oh, there's a college football team that didn't play two weeks of football, and oh, the NBA's had thirty one or whatever postponements. Just another day, and it's yeah, it's wild what we're living through. But but people have navigated uh, through it, and we're persevering. I. Went to a high school football game on Saturday. The return to Oregon sports with no fans in the crowd. It, it was fans, you know, parents in cars honking horns at their kids, and it's <laughs> it's just a wild time uh, to be alive. But uh, a year later, still playing sports uh, and still getting through it.
0: They should let parents come on. Just space them out. That's another.
1: That's another debate. All right. I'll let you talk to Governor <laughs> Brown about that. Yeah. And you get back to me on what she says.
0: Yeah. I'll have that meeting later. All right. Well, thanks Everybody. for listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss another episode as we get through this wild second half and head towards the playoffs. Thanks for joining.
1: See you guys later.